thank you, choir, worship team, orchestra, for leading us in worship through song this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, if you have your Bible. Hebrews chapter 12. Please turn with me there. Let me uh, also just add my two cents on um, uh, the fall festival this afternoon uh, from 4 to 6. Of course, many will begin arriving here a lot earlier than that if you're volunteering. And if you, um, if you are not volunteering and you would like to, then if you will uh, see Miss Ann or let me know that, and I'll get word to her today uh, before you leave, and we'll see if we can get you plugged into an area to serve tonight. I know that there will be areas where you can uh, do that, so I'd love for you to plug in and do that. Uh, th- this is a huge event, and um, uh, normally what takes place is God allows us to be able to have a lot of people on this campus uh, during that fall festival, and uh, we're having a real intentional focus on trying to connect to greater levels with people as they come uh, tonight or this afternoon, and so uh, we want to have gospel conversations with people. We want to connect with people about uh, coming to church and experiencing uh, the uh, gospel of Jesus here, and so we we just uh, are trusting that God uses this in a mighty way this afternoon, so please be in prayer for that, and again, if you are a volunteer, I'd ask you that if you would to please first park uh, over on the grassy area just coming off of fifth street over there and park in that grassy area there there'll be folks to help you and that also frees up parking for the people who come because sometimes people are parking down at the annex they're parking all around the park they're just parking everywhere and walking in and so we want to leave as many spaces available for those who are coming as we possibly can so uh, please keep that in mind and let's pray for God to use that event in a great way so I want to ask you to join me right now we'll pray for our fall festival then we're going to pray and ask God to speak to us as we open his word this morning let's pray heavenly father I thank you Lord for allowing us to be here today to gather in worship and I pray father that Lord this afternoon you would have your hand on this event this fall festival I thank you for all those who have contributed to make this possible, who've also brought in things like candy and uh, other things to help out with tonight. And uh, for those who've prayed over this event, those who volunteered their time to be here and serve tonight, Lord, I I thank you for each of them. I pray that you, Lord, will allow the word to spread this afternoon and for there to be a great crowd of people here. I pray everybody has a great time. I pray everybody is kept safe and, and they just have just a wonderful time here tonight. And I pray, Lord, they sense that they need to learn more about you and that they can learn more about you right here at this church family. I pray tonight that you would open opportunities for us to have conversations with people about you and about uh, attending here. And so I just pray you'll open up those, those opportunities. And I pray you're already working in people's hearts to make them uh, receptive, Lord, to those conversations tonight. And so we trust you to do a great work. I also pray right now, Lord, that you would enable me to preach the Word of God. This message, Lord, that you have placed on my heart, it's tough in some spots. But I believe, Lord, there's some things that you won't said here today. And I'm asking you, Lord, to give me the ability to communicate accurately the Word of God and the application of your Word and to say the things that need to be said. And I pray you'll give us all receptive hearts to your word right now, those in this room and those listening online. Lord, I pray for clarity of mind, clarity of speech. I pray for a clear, concise word 
that will penetrate the hearts and minds of all persons listening now. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 is our text for uh, today. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I love these verses. I have entitled this message, and I'm speaking on this subject, The Race of the Christian Life. Paul uses this, this analogy, this metaphor here of a race to describe the Christian life. Now, let me tell you something I know about uh, a marathon. Nobody unintentionally runs a marathon unless somebody's chasing you. <laughs> but even then, you probably won't go very far if you're not conditioned for it. And so nobody unintentionally runs something like that. You have to be purposed and disciplined. You need to condition yourself. There needs to be a time of preparation so that you can be able to run successfully a type of race like that. There has to be a lot of intentional acts in your life for that to take place. There also is going to have to be some inspiration because at times, if you're training for one of these things, you're not going to really want to eat the way you need to eat in preparation to this. You're not wanting to do the exercises and the conditioning that's available or that's necessary for you to do this. And so you need some inspiration. And that inspiration is that goal, that, that, that what you're after, the accomplishment of being able to do that. Well, the Christian life is like this a good deal. Now, when you get saved, uh, the Lord changes your desires. He transforms you as a, as a being. And you become a new creation in Christ Jesus. I mean, you, you want to change when you're converted. Uh, you, you break the, the ties with sin that enslaved you, and now you're living for Jesus. But I'll tell you this. <clears throat> uh, if we're not careful, we'll get distracted by the world We'll get distracted by our own desires, and then we'll begin to not have the same desires we did at our conversion. We'll, we'll begin to lose some traction in the race of life, because in the Christian life, no one unintentionally lives a devoted life to Christ. It takes a focus and intentionality to do that. And so we take some steps for preparation we take some steps for disciplined life uh, styles, and we also have some inspiration. And that inspiration helps us and motivates us to keep faithful in our walk with God. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is writing to these early Christians. And of course, this same message applies to the people of God today. So let's take a look at these first three verses of chapter 12. I'm going to deal mainly with verse 1 and 2, and I'll pick up more in verse 3 next week, but I'm going to read it to help us understand uh, the message for today. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. The main idea of this message this morning is that the Christian life is like a race 
And we must faithfully endure to the end. The writer of Hebrews is encouraging these Christians, these ethnic Jews who have come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, who are suffering persecution, opposition from their culture, and he's encouraging them to remain faithful. And he let them know, beginning in chapter 1, of the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's greater than anyone or anything in the universe. He is heir of all things. That is, he is over all things, the Word of God teaches us. He made all things, the Word of God says there. He is the brightness of the glory of God, the Word of God says in those first three verses of chapter 1. He is the expressed image of the person of God. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He purged our sins and has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, meaning that he is sovereign over all. Who can measure up to Jesus? What thing can come close to him? No one or nothing can come close to Jesus. He is supreme and great, and therefore uh, he is to be followed, is the argument of the writer of Hebrews. He goes on to talk about, to these specifically Jewish Christians, how that Jesus is greater than angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Abraham. He is greater than Aaron. He is greater than the priesthood, the tabernacle, the sacrificial system, the old covenant as a whole. He is greater than all. And then he writes the chapter, chapter 11, to inspire these Christians to stay faithful because When they are faithful, God releases power and gives great victory and even gives the strength to endure when it's His will for us to suffer through difficult circumstances. And so that incredibly poetic chapter 11 was meant to inspire them and encourage them. And then he gets down to the very application of what he wants them to do in the verses that I just read to you a moment ago. And that is we're to live the Christian life. We're to run the Christian race. And there are three things necessary for this to happen that we see in these verses. The first thing we see is there must be personal preparation. There must be personal preparation for the running of this race, just like an athlete is going to prepare to be a good athlete. uh, He or she will have to be conditioned physically and mentally for uh, this task. And there are some things that we need to condition ourselves through a, an act of preparation that's going to help us run the Christian race. It's going to help us live the Christian life the way we are called to and saved to do so by our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 1a, we see this truth that I'm talking about. Now, notice with me in verse 1a, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. There is preparation for this Christian race. And I want you to notice something. The writer of Hebrews encourages himself here. Notice the the plural pronouns, we, therefore we, let us. He's including himself in this. These are things that he needs to take into account. These are things that he needs to apply personally. Now, notice that phrase, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, that certainly ties in to chapter 11. There's a whole bunch of witnesses there uh, who have gone before us. There's two basic interpretations of what this is talking about here. Some believe 
that this is talking about those witnesses there, that they are in heaven and they're watching us right now and they're cheering us on and the word surrounded is, is even pictures this imagery of an arena, you know, that kind of surrounds a, a field or a track where there's activities and events taking place and there's, there's spectators. Matter of fact, the word witnesses can be, the Greek word can be translated spectators. So sometimes people get the idea that that's what's being talked about there, that they're, the saints in heaven are going, come on, you can do it. They're, they're cheering for us. And that's why sometimes when people say, well, you know, um, mama, she's in heaven right now and I know she's looking down on us and she's taking care of us and she's watching us and no, she's not. <laughs> I don't think that's what this passage is talking about. Matter of fact, heaven wouldn't be heaven if they could see what's going on down here, would they? <laughs> if they could see what sometimes some of their own kinfolks are doing, some of their own church families doing. That's not heaven. The word in the Greek is better translated witnesses. And that's why I think this second interpretation is the correct one, and that is that what's being communicated here is those saints of old bear witness to us today of the, faith, of the effectiveness of faith when we trust the Lord and obey Him. He pours out His power on us. He enables us. F.F. Bruce said that it's not so much they who look at us as we who look to them for encouragement. And it's encouragement. It's encouraging to be reminded of those things. Now, let me tell you what I enjoy reading. Uh, I like to read, but I have to discipline myself to do it because as many other things go on. I do a whole lot of reading and studying and just other things going on, but I, I like to read for my personal edification. I like to read for enjoyment, but I got to discipline myself to do it. And I'm going to tell you one of the favorite things, favorite types of books for me to read is biographies. I love to read biographies of especially Christian leaders because here's why. I learn leadership principles, but I also am inspired by how God was so faithful to them and helped them accomplish what he called them to do. And it's an inspiration to me. And that's what these Christians are being told about those in chapter 11. And those in chapter 11 are still inspiring us even today, we have a great cloud of witnesses. That word cloud in the ancient world was used to describe a multitude. And so that's what he's saying. There's a multitude of people in the past that have been faithful even in difficult circumstances, and God is always faithful to them. Let that inspire you. Let that encourage you. And so if we're going to run well, we take that into account. Let me tell you something else is necessary for us if we're going to run this race. There needs to be some preparation that takes place, and what is that exactly? Well, this text says we're going to need to lay aside weights and sin. Weights and sins that so easily ensnare us or entangle us. Now, <clears throat> in the first century A.D., when the, the uh, athlete would come into the arena, they would come in with these long, beautiful, flowing robes on. And they would come into that arena to get, and when they got ready to run, they'd take that off. And they virtually, they, they virtually ran naked because they didn't want anything to hinder them from running. They didn't want anything, you know, binding up their legs or getting in the way or tripping them up. They wanted to have this free movement to be able to run and, and do those uh, events that they, were, that they were called to do. 
What are Christians who are running the race of life to do? We are to take off weights and sins that hinder our walk with God. We're to lay them aside, the Word of God says. Present tense there in the original language, which means you keep on laying those things aside. Now, what are these weights and sins? Well, a weight is anything that hinders your progress and your walk with God. Anything that hinders you from from moving on in your walk with God, being faithful to the Lord. And it may not be something that's really bad. It's just not best for us. There's a lot of things that we do in the Christian life that are, you know, not really bad things in and of themselves, but because uh, we allow them such priority, they become a weight that hinders our spiritual lives. It could be people who drag us down spiritually. I mean, it might be a friend that that drags you down spiritually. Now, let me just tell you something. You're going to come in contact with people that irritate you, that hurt you, that offend you, and and those people are allowed in your life for a reason. And God wants you to love them. And He actually purifies and sanctifies you and I when we learn to love those people like Jesus loves those people. So you just can't say that every person that irritates the daylights out of you, that you just got to kick them to the curb, or before long you'll have two people you're hanging around with, and that's about it. Uh, so, so understand that. But I'm just saying there's some people sometimes that just continually suck the life out of you and, the, and they just pull you away from the Lord. Matter of fact, sometimes it happens in dating relationships. In case there's some in here in, in that, and we'll hit this hard in the next service for all these younger crowds in there. With, and, and listen, you don't need to be dating a non-believer. You don't. The Word of God says don't be unequally yoked. And they can pull you down. So that doesn't need to happen. So sometimes it's people that right now at this point in our our spiritual walk, we really uh, are going to have to limit the fellowship we have with them because they're just pulling us down continually. But here's something else that's a a weight I see a lot in the church today, and that is just the busyness of life. And it is just all the things we do, all the activities we're involved in, and, uh, you know, we get so involved, we just become uh, immersed in recreational activities and all the activities for the kids and the ball and all that stuff. And there's nothing wrong with doing those things. But the problem is, for some, that these things become uh, enslaving. And they take up all of our time. So we can't uh, serve properly. We, we're out of church week after week after week because of it. It hinders our devotion life. We, it's hindered our family devotion times. It's hindered our personal devotion times because we stay so busy all the time. And, and at times, we have to have some conversations with some coaches, and we have to have some conversations with un, among the family. And say, okay, what are we going to do and not do? How are we going to limit things so that we keep the Lord the priority of our home and that we don't allow these things to become such a weight they pull us down? And we miss years of effective and fruitful service to God and growth because we've allowed these things to become more important than anything else in our lives. We've got to be careful about those things and and look look, look closely at those things. Then there are sins. Now, we know what sins are. And we have the Word of God to help us understand and define sinful activity for us, things that are outside of God's design. I'm going to list out some things that are common even in the church today. 
First, let me talk about sexual sin. Sexual sin is rampant in our culture today, and it's creeped into the church. And there are those who are professing followers of Jesus Christ. Let me just start, first of all, talking to single folks. And um, sometimes uh, professing Christians will even believe that it's okay for them in dating relationships to be involved uh, in sexual activity. But I'm going to tell you something, it's not. It is outside of God's design. His design for, uh, for sex is for a man and a woman to be married and then for that to take place. That's what, that's what the Word of God teaches. Uh, and so that's God's design. And to be involved in things outside of that is sin. It's, it's devastating sin. It has consequences to it. Paul even said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that that particular sin is a sin against one's own body as well. It has, it has devastating effects upon the body. Let me just tell you something. Pornography is rampant in our culture today, and there are many Christians, mainly men, but there are also women involved in this too, that, that have become entrapped in this and addicted in, in this sin, and it is devastating. Matter of fact, in some recent reports that I have read, and I've, I've seen these things and read this for a number of years, of how viewing pornography just reprograms a mind. It, it has hindered men from recognizing what sexuality really means. Uh, it, it changes the viewpoint of women among many men. It has, matter of fact, this recent study I, I saw shows how the effects of pornography actually is worse than the effects of, of cocaine use on the brain. Uh, and, and it just, it is a devastating uh, sin. And people think it's just an innocent sin. But it has devastating consequences. There is adultery, even among those who claim to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And sometimes there is a fall, and, and you confess that sin, and you move on from there, but you don't stay there. You don't live in that. You do not live in that sin. There is the acceptance and even practice among professing Christians, the sin of homosexuality. And we don't like to talk about this today because if we say something like this, we're considered hate mongers. And, but but we're, we're not. We're simply sharing what God's Word has clearly said. And, and when you love people, you're going to want them to know the truth, no matter how they may respond to you. And that's the job of the people of God to be loving and, and also be able to communicate things in a, in a gracious way. Too many today are guilty of the sin of unbelief in the church. They, do, they no longer believe that this is the Word of God. And they have begun to question the authority of Scripture. They have this idea of who Jesus is, but they don't believe in the authority of Scripture. So what they've done is they have believed the enemy's lies, the same lies that he used against Adam and Eve. Did God really say that? And then Satan just says, no, that's just not true. So he's been doing that for years. And now there are there is many Christians who are, who are adopting that idea in our country that, that the Bible is not the Word of God. Doesn't it make sense that God would give us an accurate revelation of himself? We're so stinking opinionated, none of us could ever agree on anything. We even have the revelation of God now and sometimes can't agree on stuff. But since we're so opinionated and we can be so shaped by our culture, we need a constant, unchanging standard of revelation that God gives, and He does so in His Word. And when you study the Word of God, you begin to find out, and you study its, its origin, you begin to, 
understand the historical reliability of Scripture. And the Word of God is clear on what he says about sexuality. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 that the, the people of God are to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. It's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says, For this is the will of God, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Verse 8 goes on to say in that same chapter, Those who reject this do not reject man, but they reject God. So there could be some today who will hear me, or they'll hear me later, or they'll hear me online, and they'll say, this, That's just an old guy who has lost touch with things. He doesn't know what's going on in the world around and they're, they're, they will dismiss it thinking, I'm just going to reject what he says. Well, let me just tell you something. It's not my words that's being said today. It's the Word of God. It is not a man that's being rejected. It is God who's being rejected when we reject these things. But know this. If we will confess these things to God and repent of these things and turn away from those things, then he forgives. Now, there may be consequences that are lasting, but he will forgive and restore. We are not meant as the people of God to live in such, in such sin. And no one grows when we're allowing those sins to entangle us. Another sin is that of gossip. It's the accepted sin in the church. Gossip. I was talking about this. Oh, we, actually, we talked about it in the revival, the Association Revival on Monday night. I was in a meeting a couple of weeks ago with pastors in our area, and we talked about this sin. I said to them I, that I have found in, in my years of experience that about 80% of divisions within the church body uh, happen because we, we gossip about one another. In other words, here's what happens. Somebody does something, and it's misinterpreted. And instead of going to talk with that person, we make up our own narrative of what happened. And then we go tell everybody else that. And we end up poisoning everybody else toward that person or persons, and it hinders fellowship within the church. It hinders cooperation of ministry. It goes on and on and on. And sometimes folks can gather for worship, and they'll, someone will walk into the sanctuary and sit down and, and immediately begin to, there'll be thoughts in your mind, look what she's got on today. Someone goes down to the altar to pray. <laughs> well, this is just for show. We'll do all these kinds of... Then we'll go and tell everybody about it. Gossiping. That'll happen in Sunday school classes. It might, even, it might happen in this next hour. It probably won't now, but, but it, it could have. And we'll sit there and talk about folks and we'll, you know, about this person. that We can be so judgmental and cynical and critical of one another. Can you imagine Jesus doing what we do? The Word of God tells us we're to be like Him. We can't go on in our walk with God if we keep letting that entangle us. I'll tell you this, and I struggled whether I was going to tell you all this or not, but I'm going to tell you this. <clears throat> Back in the summer, I, someone told me that there was two different families who wanted to come here to this church. They wanted to be under the teaching of God's Word here. And here's what, here's what those family, this is what this person told me those families told them. They knew some people who go here that they consider gossips. They will act like, you know, you're your best friend to their face, and then when around, behind your back, they'll talk about you. And those two people did not come to church here because of that. Now, that's a tiny hand. I don't even know who the people are that's gossiping. I don't know who that is. 
But I, I, I can tell you this, it's probably only a tiny fraction of the hundreds of people that go to church here. But let me tell you who Satan will highlight. Those doing that, not the hundreds that are not doing that. And he's kept some people out from hearing the Word of God because of that sin. And I'll tell you this, you can't go on in your walk with God if that's what you do. You just can't do it. It's too unlike Jesus to do that. And so we need to put that sin off. Another one is being under the influence of alcohol. Now, this is a very popular subject. <laughs> you know my feelings on alcohol. I don't have to tell you that. Now, there's some who disagree with me on this, but I believe it's, it's wise for a Christian to stay away from it, period. Period. Because too much bad can happen. Causing folks to stumble, crossing the line yourself. <clears throat> People today are in love with the effects of alcohol on their bodies. Now, you may say, I don't really agree with that. Well, <clears throat> why is it that someone will say this? Okay, look, I'm just going to have me a glass of wine because what it does is it, make, it relaxes me. You know what they're saying? I like the effects of alcohol on my body. But we're not even going to talk about that. <clears throat> what I'm going to talk about <clears throat> is what I've seen with my own eyes. And I have seen professing Christians at events drunk they're under the influence of alcohol now you, I'm going to tell you this you can't argue with me that that's acceptable because the word of God makes it clear that it's not now you may say why in the world would you even breach such a topic <laughs> don't you know some people might get mad at you for that I do know that but let me tell you why I say it because the Word of God tells me I have charge over your souls. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. And I love you. And if I did not love you, there is no way in the world that I would ever tell you that because I would be too concerned about my own self-preservation to tell you something. But I tell you that because I love you. And because I know this, there's no way that a Christian can move on in their walk with God if that's a continual practice in their life. If every get-together they go to, they do that. There's no way that you can go on in your Plus, it's a terrible witness. Some people today see no need for the gospel because they have seen no real difference in their lives than other people who, who profess to be Christians. And it's just true. I've heard them say that. It hinders our walk with God. Another sin is that of idolatry, and I could go on and on about this one because it means all sorts of things. It could be talking about coveting possessions. It could be the love of the world system. It could be even loving our preferences of church more than biblical practice of Christianity. We can make an idol of anything. And anything that's more important to the Lord, to us, is, is an idol. Another sin is that of robbing God. What I mean by that is when we don't give, as we're called to give as the people of God. Uh, we don't give of our finances to the kingdom of God. The, the Christian or the saints under the old, old covenant, they tithed. Christians should give no less than what the Old Testament saints were giving. 
That should be our minimum starting point. But what happens is many believers just rob God. And we're too busy spending everything on ourselves. I will tell you this, Christians who are faithful givers are better off than those who are not faithful givers. I'll tell you that. I can tell you that from experience. When we give, God supplies seed to the sower. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says, There's, <clears throat> there are things right now we could be doing with no problem in our church. I'll tell you this, we'd have no need for a capital campaign if everybody in this church simply tithed. We, we would have more money for the, to get the gospel to the nations, to get the, hand, the word of God in the hands of people, to do ministry here in this community. If, if, we, if everybody just did that, there'd be an abundance for kingdom work here in this area. And there's some faithful people who give. Many of you in this room are faithful givers to the kingdom of God, and you can testify of God's faithfulness in that. Some are robbing God. We can't be like Jesus, who, being rich, became poor, that we might become rich. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. And Paul taught that in the context of teaching how to give. There is the sin of laziness. Spiritual laziness, not doing our devotions, not serving God, our work ethic. I mean, laziness is a, is a sin that we see in different aspects. The Bible tells us that we are to be diligent and fervent in spirit, serving God in Romans chapter 12. There is vanity. Sometimes folks are consumed with their outward appearance. Now, I have nothing wrong. I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to look a decent. <laughs> I'm glad we do that, you know. But, but the fact is, sometimes it becomes an obsession. And we're more concerned about that than we are the inward beauty we should display. There's the sin of pride. And everybody deals with pride in some capacity. And some manifestations of it's jealousy and envy. We're jealous of what somebody else has or they get more attention than we do or whatever it may be. We think we know everything. Pride is devastating. Then there's lying and there's anger and there's unforgiveness and we can go on and on and on talking about the things that we, that we see in the Word of God that that has entangled many believers today and it's kept us from running the race that's set before us. If we're going to walk this Christian life as we're called to, then we've got to lay aside these things. But we've got to lay it aside. And those early Christians there in the book of Hebrews were being taught probably to lay aside their doubts, their sins of unbelief, to trust God to be, and be faithful to Him. And there's a lot of us who maybe are entangled by things right now that's hindering our spiritual lives. We'll never be what God wants us to be until we cast those things off and start running the race He set before us. So not only is there to be personal preparation, but secondly, there is to be disciplined implementation. That is, we've got to focus in, and the Bible says in verse 1b, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Again, running here speaks of living the Christian life with great faithfulness. It means to obey God's Word. It means to pursue Him. 
The word run here in the Greek is the same as the word that we get our word agony from in the English. I mean, running the Christian life can sometimes be grueling. It requires discipline. It requires an intentionality. It requires a focus. It requires endurance, the Word of God says. And that word endurance there is a word that means being steadfast, not being deflected in any way, but taking the action, an active part of running this Christian life. And so we go to the Lord each day focused on Him. We pray, we spend time in the Word, and we obey Him. And we run that race that's set before us. You see that? Set before us. That means the Lord has marked out a path for us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Walk is a word that means to conduct life. It's really the same thing as running the race, the Christian race. Now, how is it, how is it that we, that we know that we're doing what God has marked out for us in this life? Do we wait for the Lord just to say, okay, here's what I want you to do, do this. Here's what He's marked out before us. It is for us to live an obedient Christian life. Just simply obey the Word of God. Just live every day for Him. Because I'll tell you this, as we live that kind of life, He'll do thousands of things through your life to touch others. We will never fulfill our divine purpose unless we're intentionally running the Christian race without distraction. And we have to be determined in our church family to do that too. We've got to understand that we've kind of broke it down this way in our church so we can understand the Great Commission. Go make disciples of all nations. That means we evangelize and we teach. Here's how we put it. We live our hope. We give hope. We help, hope, we help people live out their hope in Christ, and we give the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. That's the Great Commission. And that must be our focus as a church family. Uh, uh, you and I have the, the greatest uh, inspiration we can have, I'll talk about here in just a moment. But we must be a people that are intentionally focused on Him to live that obedient Christian life that we're called to. Third and final thing is this. Not only is there to be personal preparation, not only is there to be disciplined implementation... We get focused and we intentionally live life every day for the Lord. Third and finally, there must be a focus on Jesus for inspiration. He's our inspiration. Verse 2 and 3 communicate this. You know, a runner needs some inspiration to keep going. They've got to train and prepare, and then they've got to keep going. And there's going to be times in that race that they're going to be... Um, Hurting, they're going to want to quit. They're going to, everything in them aches. The inspiration is the prize at the finish line. Our inspiration is Jesus. It's Jesus. 
We've got the greatest inspiration to run the Christian race. We have, as a church, the greatest inspiration to be obedient to our Lord, to love each other, to not do our will but His will, to be focused on Him. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, he said this, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, in one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. We run individually and we run together corporately removing the hindrances, the weights, and the sins, and we look to Jesus. Notice the Bible says here, looking unto Jesus. That means we look away from the world. Our focus is Jesus. It's not even on the witnesses that's gone before us. They're helpful to look at. That's not our ultimate focus. It's not even on the weights and sins that entangle us, even though that's helpful and we have to do so at times. Our focus is to be on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He is the author. That word's used in Hebrews 2.10 to describe the fact that he's the captain of our salvation, the pioneer of our salvation, the trailblazer. He's also the finisher. As Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 says, he that began a good work in us, he'll complete it. He'll complete it. He is our source of salvation. He is our source of life. And He's also our ultimate example. And we see that in what we see in this, in this verse. The Word of God says this, Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. Joy, what joy could there possibly have been at the cross? pain and suffering and torturous uh, feelings there on that cross. What could have been joyful about that? The joy was it was obedience to the Father. The joy was it would complete the redemption of countless numbers of people. So the Lord Jesus Christ, for the joy set before Him, endured the cross, despising its shame because He knew the outcome of it. While he was on the cross, you were on his mind. I was on his mind. And for that joy, he endured the cross and glorified the Father while he did it. As our Savior kept his focus and he obeyed, and the outcome of his suffering was great and glorious. Know this, in the same way, you and I are to endure in this Christian life and stay faithful to the Lord, keeping our eyes on Jesus every day and run the Christian race well. So today... We need to run, don't we? So our preparation, get the weights off, get the sin off, purposely and disciplined, walk with Jesus every day. Obey Him. He will use our lives. He will glorify Himself. 
He will bring people to Him if we run that race faithfully. One of these days, it's all going to be over for each of us, isn't it? Either the Lord returns for us or we die. And there'll be folks standing around at our funeral service as the preacher preaches and and we thank the Lord for the great hope of eternal life. But don't you want to hear this someday when time here on this earth is done and it's, it's over like that, isn't it? Isn't it? All you who are ahead of me, here's what my daddy always, my daddy's 85, he always tells me this. When I talk, I talk about how time flies by, he says, son, you don't, you don't have any idea. I think, how can it get any faster? I don't know. I can't, I look back, I think, I'm 55 years old. How'd that happen? I was 25 yesterday. How did this happen? One day, I'm going to be done. And you know what I want to hear? Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear. Every Christian ought to have that desire. If we don't, our heart's not right. It's just not right. And we need to get it right. We need to get the weight out, sin off. We need to run with endurance the race that's set before us. So today, let's cast off those sins. Let's be intentionally focused on advancing in our walk with God, progressing in our walk with God, making the gospel known to others, serving the Lord like He's called us to. For those who are not yet saved here and those listening online, I want you to know that if, if today you will believe that you are a sinner separated from God, I mean, that's what the, the Word of God reveals of all human beings apart from the redemptive work of Jesus. We're separated from God, but God in His love and His mercy and to satisfy His own justice sent Jesus to live the life we could not live and to die a death to atone for our sins. And He rose again the third day to save anyone who will call on Him to be Lord and Savior, who will believe and repent, turn away from sin to Him, and He will transform your life in an instant. And then entire time you're alive on this earth, He will keep making you more like Him as you run the Christian life. If you want to know more about becoming a believer being saved, and you come down here when I get through with this sermon and you say, I, I want to know Jesus is my Savior. And we'll help you with that. Altars open to come pray. I, I just can't believe that God hadn't spoken to us in some way today and maybe put something on our mind or heart. We've got to get out of our life. And right now, we need to do that. So let's do it. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for how you spoke to me through this, how you worked in my life. And I just believe, Lord God, you've done so uh, in this service and I pray Lord God right now that we will lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us and help us Lord God to run with endurance the race that's set before us help us to understand what that looks like what that means and Lord let us be obedient help us to be obedient believers Lord every day walking with you Lord I pray for those who need to be saved and I pray they'll come as we stand to sing and give their lives to Jesus Lord it's in his name I pray Amen. Let's stand, please.